0: All right. Well, last week, if you were here, um, you will recall, and if not, you can uh, find it on the video or on the audio recording on the on the website. But last week, I delivered part one of a two-part message entitled "Right in the Sight of God." Part one centered on biblical humility, and is also uh, biblical humility that is living and active. Today's message is on biblical truth and freedom in Jesus Christ, and in the honor of the 2.85 million noble American men and women who gave their lives to defend it. Let's all stand to honor God in the reading of His Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1, we will read the first three verses, and then we will move over to verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commandments and statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you to follow in the land that you are about to enter and possess, so that you and your children and grandchildren may fear the Lord your God all the days of your lives by keeping all his statutes and commandments that I give you, and so that your days may be prolonged. Hear. O Israel, and be careful to observe them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Verse 17 You are to diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God in the testimonies and statutes he has given you. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, so that it may be well with you and that you may enter and possess the good land that the Lord your God swore to give your fathers, driving out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has said. And God's people say, Amen. 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 Moses uh, spoke those words to a once enslaved nation, the children of God once enslaved. He spoke to them as they stood on the edge of the promised land, the land promised to their ancestor, Abraham, a good land, the best land, a land flowing with good things. Our ancestors had once been held captive by tyranny under a world empire, and the declaration of independence that they forged is based on their belief in the truth of God and the people's right to worship Him. All men are created equal; that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights; that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the book of Galatians, Paul makes a case for liberty. In uh, Paul makes a case for liberty that is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be encumbered once more to a yoke of slavery. His command in Galatians 5.1 makes it clear that it is right in the sight of God to stand up for truth and freedom. The issue then in Galatia is, was, in Paul's time, was that the Jewish believers who were trying to force Old Testament rules and regulations onto believers who had been set free from all the law and its rules and regulations. And just as the Old Testament law was a yoke of slavery in that time, Socialism is a brand of slavery. It is a yoke of slavery to the state, which asserts government as Lord and Master for a society. But the Christian has only one Lord and Master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In in Jude, only one chapter in Jude, but starting in verse 3, I have, uh, read verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I made every effort to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt it necessary to write and urge you to contend earnestly for the faith entrusted once for all to the saints. For certain men have crept in among you unnoticed, ungodly ones who were designated long ago for condemnation. They turn the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. That hits close to home today, doesn't it? It sure does. Christian educator and author, author of the New Testament, New International Commentary on the Book of Galatians, David Da Silva says this regarding Galatians 5.1. The most pressing need, according to Paul, is for the Galatians to decide in favor of holding on to their freedom rather than putting their necks under the law's yoke or the yoke of any other worldly system of rules and values ever again. It is right to stand for, faith in, 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 for our faith and our freedom and for the truth of God. It is right in the sight of God to do so. The next item is a visual aid. Let me explain this for you. Well, first of all, the table being projected on the screen is provided by a think tank called ThoughtCo and can be accessed at thoughtco.com. This is not a conservative website. As a matter of fact, I looked at it, it looked like perhaps a liberal website. So this is their own Propaganda and not mine. The first column lists the attributes or categories that they wanted to list. The center column describes how socialism operates on those attributes. And communism is represented on the third column. The red text is the only significantly different text between the two columns, and that should, that should be an indicator Socialism is on the road to communism. It's the first stop on the road to total slavery. Only those words in red are significantly different. The words in black are essentially the same and have essentially the same meaning. And for those of you that are interested, the website is listed at the bottom here and you can connect with me and I'll text you. You can find uh, this, this table for yourselves first row I'm not going to read it all but let's just 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 going down the first row I took a few notes and I'd like to share them first row socialism and communism are human philosophies that attempt to displace biblical truth but the problem with human wisdom and philosophy is that they are seriously marred by sin and so if those in authority are not in Christ then those under their authority are submitting to an unchristian world order. That's conflict. Second and third row, economy and ownership of resources. God is our supplier, not the government. God sends the rain, God made the fertile soil, and God put the minerals and precious metals in the earth. He created the human body so that it could work and he gave us a mind of intellect to know what to do. Every good thing is from God, so all credit goes to God, not a government. Fourth row, distribution of wealth. Socialism and communism provide an escape clause for able-bodied people who simply are not willing to work. This is contrary to the New Testament teaching in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that says, If anyone is unwilling to work, he shall not eat. It is right in the sight of God to work, and it is commanded by God to feed the hungry who cannot otherwise fend for themselves. That's God's way. It's commanded by God for us to assist those who cannot, despite their best efforts, find gainful employment but handouts are not the answer to laziness the answer to that issue is called a job and for the unconverted to instruct God's people on the principles of looking at the needs of others is a classic example of the tail wagging the dog row five class distinction talk about killing incentive it no longer matters how hard you work. The, govern, the government will keep you shackled and hamstrung. Bottom row. Someone might observe that communism outlaws religion, but it is still allowed under socialism. But that phrase, religion is allowed, is troublesome. Allowed by Who? The government? There is so much wrong with that statement that it flies in the face of Galatians 5.1. We don't have time to get into it, but just suffice it to say that it, it goes against the entire Bible and the entire New Testament. Freedom to worship God is a God-given inalienable right, not a socialist government privilege. The following quotes are taken from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. from his 1963 sermon entitled, How Should a Christian View Communism? 1963. Rather than retelling his history, it is best to let his words speak for themselves because they are powerful and I think they apply now more than ever. Such great world religions as Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Mohammedanism, that's a good one, are possible alternatives to Christianity. Those are all religions. Those are possible alternatives to Christianity. But no one conversant with the hard facts of the modern world will deny that communism is Christianity's most formidable rival. Under such a system, the fountain of freedom runs dry. Communism's methods and philosophy strip man of his dignity and worth. Never can we, as true Christians, tolerate the philosophy of communism. Martin Luther King had a passion for all of God's people. And he had a grave concern for the future that is ours today. His words seem eerily prophetic 59 years down the road, don't they? But sadly, the American church cannot place all the blame for the current crisis onto others. The church also shares responsibility for the current situation in America. I'm going back to our master text, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. You can join me. These words I am commanding you today are to be upon your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And speak of them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as reminders on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses. And on your gates, Proverbs 22:6 says, "Train up a child in the way that uh, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But doing nothing is a sure way of regretting something. No, you have to stand for something, or you're going to fall." Or anything. And the church's failure to evangelize its youth has left that youth open to the deception that is communism, to the deception that is socialism. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. That's the pink tab in your Bibles. Maybe it's just mine. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, praise God, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, but to so many that can't see that light, so many that will not see that light. Earlier in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, if you're open there, you can go there with me and in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, Paul explains that the Old Testament law was like a veil that kept the Jews from seeing the liberty that was in Christ. Said so something else had, had, had clouded their mind, and they couldn't remove that so that they could see the truth of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church has allowed this to happen to our children, they're deceived and brainwashed and indoctrinated with what the schools and the colleges have been giving them and what they hear on the streets and what they read in a Facebook and what they've been allowed to do and get away with up till now. But everything comes due at a certain point. And so they're on the slippery slope because they have a veil. But there's no darkness so thick that the light of God... Can't penetrate it. Amen? Verse um, 17 of chapter 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah and praise God this morning. I have a sensation that it won't be long before the veil is removed. And masses and hordes and droves of new believers are going to storm the gates of kingdom. Today, it is the blind leading the blind. But God gave to us the light of truth and freedom in Jesus Christ. And now we are that light. We carry the torch of truth and freedom. Another reason that the veil remains over so many, even those who profess to be Christians, comes from a failure from the pulpits across America to the preaching and teaching of the full-balanced gospel. God has given everything, including His only beloved son, but that holiness and righteousness of God demands either justice or acceptance through our faith in His grace. There's only two paths. You either accept and believe, or you stubbornly disbelieve and get what you deserve. God doesn't send anyone where they don't want to go. He has made a path of life for everybody. Sin is a tyranny against God. It's a tyranny which can be forgiven through faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ alone. But unbelief is high treason with only one outcome. There is a place called hell. Jesus would not have warned about it if it were not so. The church has failed to teach it or has cowed to the demands of the people who didn't want to hear about it. Yet Jesus spoke of hell more than any other person in the Bible. Hell is a real place because justice demands it. But God has given a free pass to everyone by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a balanced gospel. The church shares responsibility for the current situation. Biblical humility believes God's word, all of it. Preachers and teachers are responsible for proclaiming all of it, not just the parts that itching ears long to hear. But it's not too late. Lost ground can be reclaimed for Christ through the gospel obedience of His people. It's time for Christians to take to the streets, not in rioting, but with the power of the gospel. Biblical humility relies on God's power. Romans chapter 1, verses, or chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Greek. The gospel is the power for salvation here and now. Not just the great yonder and way beyond. It's here and now. As true followers of Christ, we are already sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are already saved. We're not fully delivered out of this place, but we're saved and sealed. It's done. But it's not just for us. It's for everyone who believes. The gospel is all-encompassing. No one's left out. It is for the Jew and the Greek. It's for the black and white, the old and young, large and small, Vietnamese, Nigerian, Hoosiers, and Kentuckians. If that doesn't show it's for everybody, I don't know what does. But the world order stirs up strife and division. But the government of God binds all believers as one. The only division in the sight of God is those who believe and those who do not. We can't be reluctant or unwilling to share the gospel of truth and freedom because of fear of ridicule or disapproval. We have God's approval and he says, Go! Biblical humility relies on God's power, not our own power. When it comes to the gospel, you know, Jesus did the saving work. We only have to believe. And because we believe, because, and get this, because we believe, we don't have the option, we are obligated to speak. Because we believe, we are obligated to speak but we can't wing it. We need to know and rely on God's words and not our own words. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We need to know and rely on God's words, not our own words. Even Jesus said that His teaching was not His own, but it was the the teaching of the Father who sent Him. We plant the good seed. Someone else will come along and water it, but it is God who causes it to grow. We handle God's Word and we, we respect God's Word when we learn God's Word and we repeat. God's Word. We must also be prepared to take offensive and defensive action that is right in the sight of God. God cannot be taken by surprise. Jesus was never taken off guard. Likewise, God's people must always be prepared. God equips the saints with a full offensive and defensive arsenal. You all know that famous uh, armor of God passage, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Put on the full armor of God. You know that famous passage. That has so much armor for going on the offensive and defensive. For going on the offensive, that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which we've been talking about. If we're going on the offensive, it's often missed, but it's the, the, we're, our feet are fitted with the gospel. Now, if you can run, you can run in advance, or you can cower back. But these shoes are fitted with the gospel, and the gospel doesn't cower back. So it's an offense. Offensive weapon with the sword. So you've got the shoes and you've got the sword. And that's what we've been talking about. But the devil is furious. And when we go on an offensive, he is going to attack back. But the good news is he always attacks back with the same old tactics that he's used before. He uses on Jesus and the apostles. One, He will test your humility with insults and ridicule. Two, He will test your faithfulness to learning the Bible by twisting the Word of God. Three, He will pound your flesh through temptation or sickness. And four, possibly even the shedding of blood. And for these, God has provided a full array of defensive weapons. We have a belt of truth to protect against deception. We have a breastplate of righteousness to cancel the insults. We have a shield of faith that extinguishes all the flaming arrows, a helmet of salvation that guarantees a rebuild of our bodies. We can't lose because Jesus Christ has already won. Amen. Let's Thank you, Lord. So if you can't lose, there's nothing to fear. But we must be prepared to take an offensive and defensive action that is not of our own doing, but one that is right in the sight of God. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3... Um, verse 8. Woo! Found it. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. Bring study Bible sections. This is it says, turning from evil and suffering for righteousness. So let's read this. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted and humble. Do not repay "...evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are inclined to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be shaken. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you, the reason for the hope that is in you. But respond with gentleness and respect." keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit, in whom He also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Peter speaks here from personal experience. Long before he wrote these words in the letter of Peter, Peter was walking the talk and had been walking the talk since the day of Pentecost. In Acts uh, chapter 5, we find Peter and the apostles had found themselves um, under persecution by the Jewish legal system known as the Sanhedrin. And their crime? Their crime was the repeated offense of speaking uh, the gospel. That was their crime. And you should let that sink in. Right. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied to the Sanhedrin, to the court, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior in order to grant repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. When the council members heard this, they were enraged, and they resolved to put the apostles to death. They, they were sentenced to death already in the hearts of the court. But one man, a righteous Pharisee named Gamaliel, stood up and he argued and pled for their lives, and the Sanhedrin agreed. So picking up in verse 40, they yielded to Gamaliel. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Here's a reaction that's right in the sight of God. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Every day in the temple courts and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the response that's right inside of God and one that we must emulate when and if the time comes. First, like the apostles, we must pay allegiance first to God. Next, we take advantage of the situation to testify about Jesus publicly. Third, we endure the suffering, even praising God for the privilege of defending His name. But lastly, we may take a licking, but we keep on ticking, and we keep on teaching, and we keep proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation. Have you purposed in your heart today that you are committed to this level? Are you ready for that kind of action? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 and 39 say My righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will take no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Far from being those who shrink back, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, we are brought to trial, when and if we're brought to trial before the rulers, we won't even have to worry about defending ourselves or what to say, because at that moment, the Holy Spirit is going to take over. And as with all things pertaining to living right in the sight of God, Jesus is our ultimate example. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. When they heaped abuse on Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats, but entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His stripes you are healed hallelujah thank you Lord Jesus you know there are as many problems in the world as there are people but Jesus Christ is the answer to every one of them walking in his footsteps no matter what the cost is our divine privilege now this final point is perhaps the most important in a lesson and especially a lesson on what is right in the sight of God. And that is that we must never underestimate the power of prayer. Ephesians 6.18 comes on the heels of the armor of God passage. So Paul goes through and he talks about all the arsenal that God has given us. And then in verse 18 he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. Over and over, we are commanded to pray. Pray continuously. Pray about everything. Make petitions to God so that God can sign them. Rather than being the mindset that says, well, I guess all we can do is pray, we should rather embrace the privilege of having a 24-7 hotline to the creator of the universe who happens to be the lover of our souls. First, not last. Prayer is an offensive and defensive weapon and should be a front line and not a last resort. Samantha gave a good example today. In the movie Unplanned, which noted that whenever a prayer vigil is is held outside of an abortion clinic for innocent lives, that percentage of no-shows at that location goes up 75%. God hears the cries for justice. The prayers have a cumulative effect. The Blue Arrow, all the prayers of all times are accumulating In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I'm going to ask Pastor Andy to close uh, out shortly. But before I do, I'd like to share some following perspective on Revelation chapter 5.8 that comes from a Christian mission called Got Questions Ministries. The fact that the prayers of the saints in Revelation 5.8 are not identified by type or in detail indicates that we should consider them Collectively, God hears the prayers of His people. Psalm 65, verse 2, addresses God as you who answer prayer. Our Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. The saints in Revelation 5 8, they're not an elite class of people. They're people like you and me that are believers by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are, though, they are not more holy than others other than they're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The saints are all believers in Jesus of all time, saved by grace through faith. The church is loved by God and called to be saints. And when we pray, it's as if a golden bowl of incense is being carried to the very throne of God in heaven. Let's fill that bowl with prayers in the Spirit. With every kind of petition. And now, more than ever, prayers for the healing of a land and the conviction to stand for truth and freedom in the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the sight of God who sees everything. Pastor, once again... Thank you for the privilege of being able to speak to God's people today.
1: Maybe it would help if I actually turned on the microphone. Anyway, I appreciate those words um, specific to communism and, and socialism today. You know, it was very commonplace for pastors in generations past to teach on these social issues fairly regularly so that we have a biblical worldview on what's going on in our culture. Prior to the Johnson Amendment in 1953, I think that was, 1954, somewhere in there, where uh, Lyndon B. Johnson put a gag order on pastors. And the way that he did it is... uh, he put in legislation, slipped it in, kind of unnoticed, under the guise of something else. You know how they do things. And basically, if a church is a 5013C receiving tax exemption status, they made it so that if you were receiving tax exempt status, that you could not talk about politics or name any names in terms of politicians from the pulpit. Um, Just so you know, some of you may not know this, we are not a 5013C organization. <laughs> Hallelujah, yeah. And uh, I appreciate uh, Brent bringing out the specifics about communism and socialism. That's not something I've done before, but I appreciate that chart that showed the differences and that socialism is a slippery slope toward communism. But listen, folks, a country doesn't even have to go into all out communism for socialism to collapse a nation. Did you know that? Look at Venezuela. Venezuela was one of the most prosperous nations in that part of the world until they embraced socialism through a a new dictatorial type of leader and it completely decimated their economy and people starving in the streets under socialism, not even all out communism. Yes, go ahead, Donna. I, was just, I just had a thought, you know, with the Johnson Amendment. Um, if, when he put that in place, if he believed biblical values, they would never put that in place. But they put it in place because they were so vastly different than the Bible, they didn't want the, the churches preaching against them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, and by the way, and just <clears throat> if you didn't know this, the Johnson Amendment has been lifted. Yeah. That's okay. yeah. Um, president Trump did that. Yeah. <clears throat> so thank God for that. But, uh, it didn't matter prior to the Johnson amendment being lifted. We said whatever we wanted to anyway. So, uh, we need more churches to that do this. We need more pastors to do this. Thank you, Brent, for that message because that's right on point. Hallelujah. Yeah. Go ahead. Give him another hand. So we're just going to take just a, a minute or two here and pray for our nation uh, before we adjourn, because I think this is an appropriate time to do that based upon a message like we had today. Man, we need to pray for more pastors to get a backbone for Pete's sake. And, and stop acquiescing to what is going to make people uncomfortable because they're going to want to lose anybody. But don't get me started preach the word of God in its entirety, regardless of who it offends. The Bible says that Jesus is a rock of offense. Listen, I, I'm not, I don't wanna go out of my way to offend anyone, but if, if the preaching of the word, if that offends someone, so be it. Now listen, I don't wanna be you know, a hard-nosed kinda of guy and I love, I love everybody. But if somebody gets offended over the word, then so be it. That's just the, the attitude that I take. The, the, the word of God comes first. We're not going to water it down because somebody gets their little feelings hurt. You can tell Brent hit a hot button with me this morning. So uh, I'm about to commence to preaching if I'm not careful here. So hallelujah. Praise God. That was good, Brent. I really appreciate it, brother. Um, let's stand and pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor
0: shine on you.